Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat number 222 for the 19th of November, 2015. My name is John Shire. Joining me today is my good friend and colleague, Paul Ducklin. Good afternoon, Paul. Hello, John. Episode 222, The Double Nelson, uh, which needs no explaining to people who follow cricket and those who don't follow cricket. We only have uh, 15 minutes in the podcast. <laughs> exactly. So we'll stay away from that. I happen to be in my nation's capital, participating in a great workshop with a bunch of public sector and private sector individuals, vendors, um, and all sorts of people that are basically trying to solve the cybercrime uh, and cybersecurity problem for uh, everybody else out there. Um, and it's great to see all the hard work and effort that's going into that uh, with all these really talented individuals that uh, you know, care a lot about cybersecurity. Yes, that, that saying, unity is strength. Maybe a truism, but uh, most truisms become truisms for the very simple reason that they're true. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's like I said, it's refreshing to see, you know, af after all the stuff that we read about and talk about uh, with respect to cybercrime, to see that other side of, uh, of things where, you know, the people that are really working hard and in the trenches. And that really segues nicely into the first story that we're going to cover today, which is going to open up the crime and punishment segment. We often have it at the end, but why not start with it, particularly since if it's the one I think you're going to mention, there are some very important lessons about why security matters in there. It certainly is the one that you're thinking about, and that, for those who don't know what we're talking about, is the uh, the three men that were indicted for a massive hack and fraud scheme that was targeted at J.P. Morgan and some other organizations in the U.S. This was just uh, one of these cases where it was plain old simple greed that led these people to doing the things that they did, wasn't it? John, as far as I can make out, their idea was let's focus on trying to get PII, personally identifiable information, and insider data out of financial institutions, because then we can basically do insider trading from the outside. Two of them have actually already been arrested in Israel and are pending extradition. The third guy uh, is still kind of on the run slash at large. So watch this space for what happens to him. Yeah, and this is where this kind of diverges from the usual financially motivated scams and schemes out there. You know, we've talked about uh, pump and dump type schemes in the past, where basically it's just a matter of spreading misinformation in order to elevate a stock's price in which you hold some sort of uh, advantageous position and then selling that at, at you know, a higher, a higher rate. But these guys weren't actually doing that. They were, as you said they were taking insider information and then using it to profiteer off of that information. And, and as, you know, as much information as they could get their hands on, JP Morgan was the major target, but there were uh, the Dow Jones and Scott Trade and others actually were also part of this hacking escapade, which you know, gave them a lot of information and ammunition to look at a, a long line of, of potential marks uh, that uh, they, they went after. Now, there's another story that was quite interesting this week, and that is of the InstaAgent password stealer app that's been subsequently removed from both the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. Good old scammy marketing ploy. See who has viewed your Instagram profile. And of course, the problem with mobile apps that promise you things that the official API can't deliver is either they're a pack of lies and they don't do it, or they do it by cheating. 
for example, by stealing your password and then logging in as you later so they can do stuff that's only normally available to a logged in user. And uh, that's exactly what this app did. Basically stole your password, uh, sent it to the author's server, and uh, he used it later. One of the things he did with it is it uploaded photos to your account, except they weren't photos. They were ads for the app. Very naughty. And he got caught, and uh, the app was booted out by Google and Apple. Both Apple and Google have, have approved, what, about a million apps in somewhere just over seven years each. So that's more than 400 apps getting approved each day. That means they ain't getting a proper code review. Yeah, it's just too many for humans to look at individually. And as we have often seen in InfoSec, you know, computers and algorithms can only get us so far. And the human element is often needed to sort of put that final stake in the ground that says, yes, this is indeed malicious or no, this is uh, benign. So if you're hearing about this for the very first time and you do have this app installed, we do recommend that you uninstall the InstaAgent app from your phone uh, and change your Instagram password immediately. Absolutely. This guy's got it. And part of your terms and conditions are don't tell your password to anyone else. And now without intending to, you've told it to the developer of this app. Okay, so now we've basically said that we've found malware on an iOS platform. Well, what about OS X? It seems that Google has turned around and basically made that claim for us this week. Oh, yes, we always get into terrible trouble when we talk about malware on OS X because of, you know, the magic smoke effect. The good news is that there are fewer and fewer Mac fans who insist that malware is impossible on the Mac by design. I think people are getting it. It seems that malware on OS X is sufficiently often asked about by concerned users, not just that they want to run antivirus, but that they want to upload files to Google's Virus Total service, which, for people who don't know what that is, it's a service that you upload a file, it scans it with multiple security scanners, including Sophos's, for example, and additionally, VirusTotal will do some kind of sandbox-type automatic analysis and until now, it's been Windows and Android software that you can upload for automatic analysis. Google just added OS X as a target platform. So don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> this time, it's not us saying that, that, there's, that Mac malware is a reality and that people are genuinely concerned about it. It's Google. Wisely pointed out in your article on Naked Security, the whole malware sandboxing thing isn't really something you should play with unless you really know what you're doing. So before you start downloading malware and running it in VMs, uh, make sure that you truly understand the, the way to create a, a, a malware an analysis environment. Good point, John, because it does sound when you read about, oh, virus total, we've got this sandbox, you send us the file, we run it in our own closeted environment, see what it does and tell you. It sounds as though that should be something you could replicate at home, doesn't it? If it all goes wrong, you can just kill the VM and no harm done. Except that imagine that the malware you're running is a spam zombie and you allow your VM to call home. In other words, you don't shield or protect the way it communicates with the internet at all. And it gets instructions for the next spam run and sends out a million spam messages. Suddenly, you actually just became part of the problem and uh, you will have a lot of angry people shouting at you with very good reason. So whether it's Mac malware, Windows malware, or Linux malware, 
think before you act when it comes to playing with malware. You mentioned some of the tools that are available for people to download. Uh, I just want to pile on a little bit here and mention that uh, Sophos Home is has just finally entered the public beta version of its development. So if you are interested in using a cloud-based tool to manage some of your anti-malware uh, agents on your network for your home servers or your home desktops and laptops, go on over to home.sophos.com and sign up. There are uh, links to uh, more information on that page as well as how to create an account. It must be terribly expensive, John. What's the price? Zero dollars and zero cents. So let's finish off with uh, a fun story, I guess, with some very serious implications. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission, which is in the USA, is the, you know, the consumer watchdog. It gets interested in all sorts of things, particularly in anything that's sort of dodgy on the marketing side. Uh, so if you're making claims on a product that uh, you can't substantiate or that are, that are patently false, then the FTC might want to have a word with you. What they also do is they look at some of the you know, online activities that it can deem devious or deceptive or dishonest, as you wrote in your article. With that idea in mind, the FTC held a workshop in Washington, D.C., entitled Cross-Device Tracking. Yes, it's an absolutely fascinating area of privacy. Cross-device tracking seems to be like a cool new thing with uh, electronic marketing companies. The idea being that, you know, we, it's pretty easy to track someone if they use the same browser every day because you can set a cookie. And the more you know about them, the better you can target ads. And the idea is that's better for everybody, apparently even including the consumer, and definitely for the marketing company because they can sell those ads for a higher price. So what tricks can you use to figure out that when some otherwise anonymous unknown person on a phone visits your site and then the same person visits from their laptop with a browser how do you figure out that they're the same person and it turns out there are some ways you can do it which are you know you might not like them or like the sound of them but they're kind of up front you say to someone i'll give you free wi-fi while you're in the shopping mall but you have to give me your mobile phone number and i will send you a code an activation code via SMS. It's pretty clear that they're asking you to give your mobile identity as well. Uh, and that's called deterministic tracking. But there's also this whole field that's called probabilistic tracking. That gets a bit more dodgy because the idea is you look at the kind of things that people do and you sort of guess that it's probably the same person. And the FTC wants to make sure that if this probabilistic tracking is going on, that it is with the knowledge and more than just the implicit consent of the the person who's being tracked in this way. Yeah, and, and probabilistic tracking is really just an inference of the devices being associated with a common user. Um, so, you know, that is just the preamble to this story, which is, uh, if you recall back uh, some time ago, you wrote about the bad BIOS, which was a way of malware allegedly spreading through ultrasonic waves from computer to computer in, in air-gapped networks and, and impacting the actual firmware on those devices. Uh, now we have basically televisions using the same sort of communication mechanisms to communicate with your mobile phone to do this probabilistic or even maybe crossing over into the deterministic side of tracking. 
Yes, it's uh, it's a, a, an Indian company that claims to have this patented technique that when you air a TV ad, so you put this this special sound code in it that if you happen to have a mobile phone nearby uh, and the microphone is on and you're running an app that has this company's programming library in it, then it will detect this sound and say, ah, this phone, watch that ad. So you can imagine that this would be quite powerful, but it's completely inaudible sound. You're not being told that it's there. We're not being told which apps are licensing this technology, if any. How do you opt out? How do you make that informed decision? So we await the action plan or feedback that comes from this workshop with a lot of interest. Even if it doesn't work, I want to know what the FTC thought about it, because it's more the it's more the uh, the thought that counts in this case, isn't it? It sure is, yeah. And it, it, we are definitely waiting the outcome of, of this uh, workshop to see what uh, the FTC had to say about it. Now, for users out there, if you're not familiar, both iOS and Android do allow you uh, if you want to turn off microphone for some of the apps that you don't think should have a microphone capability. Just a quick note, John, that feature has been in iOS for some time. It only came into Android in Android 6. And of course, there is a problem that if the app is supposed to use the microphone, uh, like it's a voice recorder, then you really have to decide, do I trust the app enough to have the microphone turned on? Yeah, good point, Paul. And for those of you who are not on Nexus devices or on platforms that like to update very frequently on the Android ecosystem, do know that uh, this won't be available to you. On that note, I will conclude Sophos Security Checklist Chat number 222. For all of your security news, please surf on over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more as well as some of our techno podcasts, please go to iTunes or the TuneIn app or at soundcloud.com slash software security. And until next time, stay secure.